Romans chapter 11 is where we'll be this morning. We've got some announcements. We'll make those announcements at the end of service today. Uh, I want to remind you in Romans chapter 11 that we are studying the nation of Israel's future. Romans 9 deals with Israel's past. Romans 10 deals with Israel's present. Romans chapter 11 deals with the future of the nation of Israel and the fact that God is not done. God is not finished with his people. And, uh, and so we started this chapter last week with verse 1, and it says, I say then, have God cast away his people? And some people that haven't read the Bible would say yes. But God says, God forbid. God forbid, for I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul himself proves the fact that God is not done with the nation of Israel, even though their rejection of Christ, their rejection uh, of the, the, the gospel in the book of Acts, their, their opportunity to receive their Messiah in Acts chapter 7. Despite their rejection, God is still not done. He's not permanently cast away his people, Israel. And, and maybe if you're new this morning to our church or new to Christianity, you're wondering what in the world does Israel have to do with anything? Well, it has a lot to do with everything uh, because they're God's chosen people. And, and God has a, a tremendous history with the nation of Israel through the Old Testament. And even presently, God is working to bring his people back to repentance so that they worship him in a right relationship, that they come to, to knowledge of, of Christ as their Messiah. And so Israel's future is secure. The church, the body of Christ, has not replaced the nation of Israel uh, and we'll, we'll get into some, some really cool text this morning. We're going to see how that the Gentiles, those that were not Jewish, that were not the nation of Israel, because of Israel's unbelief, God allowed us as Gentiles to be grafted in to the spiritual heritage that Israel had. And, and it's an amazing picture and it's an amazing story that God lays out for us in Romans chapter 11. And so if you want to pick it up in verse 11, we'll go down to verse 24. So Paul continues this thought, and he says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. And again, two times in this passage, God just wants you to know, God forbid that God's not done with Israel. God forbid. They, they've not fallen permanently, okay? But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world... And the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness, in other words, Israel's fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, is as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. And, and so what Paul is doing is he's just reminding us through this passage that Israel's stumble and fall is not permanent. And he's helping us as Gentiles understand that this is actually the way we got in on the goods as it relates to God, his blessing, his salvation. This is the way that we as Gentile nations got in on the goods that were promised in and through the nation of Israel. And so let's just break this passage down very quickly and, and hopefully uh, it'll make sense today as, as we get going. Again, excuse the the snot and the other uh, puffy eyes and, and things like that. We'll try to at least be coherent with our thoughts. Point number one in your notes is this, and, and here's what we got to understand. This morning, the message is entitled, God is the gardener for the Gentiles. Anybody in the room garden at all? We actually have a couple of master gardeners at our church 
Uh, you people are awesome, by the way. Okay, I don't have a green thumb. It's a black thumb. And it's not from working on cars. It's because I can't grow anything, man. I'm just not good at plants uh, in general. Uh, and some people are really gifted like that. My mom is really gifted like that. I remember growing up, she was able to just to take, you know, take what seemed like a dead plant and nurse that thing back to life. You know what I'm saying? Or, or just seeds that are just in the garage from, from a plant that she had, a flower she had, or whatever. I mean, these things look dead. And she was able to just take those things and bring about new, you know, life from these seeds. And, and some people have that knack. God is going to teach us through this passage that God himself is a gardener. And he understands how to take something that's not of a, 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 a right root and actually tie it into a root that brings forth life. And it's going to be a really cool picture as we see it. So number one in your notes, this, this is the first point. We need to understand this morning that Israel's fall is the Gentiles' riches. And, and we're going to talk a lot about Israel, and we're going to talk a lot about the Gentiles. And, and you need to get the terminology right, because here's the key in your notes. God only addresses three people groups in the Scriptures. When you open the Bible, here's a key of Bible study, and, and again, you would say, well, Jay, God, God addresses different nations and different individuals and, and different people specifically. Yeah, he does that, but he only addresses three people groups in the scriptures. And those three people groups are based on 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32, the Jews, Paul writes and he says, give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God. That's it. When you open the Bible, you're only going to get one of three audiences for each portion of Scripture. It is directly to the Jews. It's directly to the Gentiles who are not Jewish. And then it's the church. Those who are Jew or Gentile that are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And so, and so all of a sudden, your Bible became a lot simpler to understand because Paul is saying through Israel's fall, the result of their fall is that the Gentiles are become rich. And, and there's two ways to look at that as we study the Bible. Number one, Israel's fall certainly resulted in spiritual blessing to the Gentiles. And we'll get to that in just a second. But man, if you, if you think about the, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, if you wanted to have any way to God, access to God, worship God rightly, in the Old Testament, you had to be connected somehow, some way with the nation of Israel. They worship the one true God. And, and listen, we have mentioned before that we have a Jewish Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ wasn't an American and he wasn't a Republican. Shocker to a lot of people in this country. He was, I know, right? You heard it here first. It's good you came to church today. He wasn't an American. He wasn't a Republican. He was a Jew. So we have a Jewish Savior. And we have Jewish scriptures. God says in, in the book of Romans that the oracles of God were given to the Jew, to the nation of Israel. So the reason that we even have God's words in our hands is because of the nation of Israel. Because God using the Jews to bring us the scriptures. And so listen... Their fall resulted in the riches of the Gentiles, spiritually, of course, but even secularly or, or non-spiritually. Can I just tell you that the fall of Israel resulted in the riches of the world? Listen, when you study history, you would do well to study history. And when you study major corporations and major businesses just in this country, 
Let me rattle off some names. And as I rattle off these names, I want you to know that every one of the people that they have started these businesses are connected, either their parents were or they are Jewish. Baskin Robbins, started by Burt Baskin and Irv Robbins. Dunkin' No Nuts, just had some of that coffee this morning. They didn't have any donuts this morning. That was a problem, by the way. So you notice today we have Krispy Kreme donuts because Dunkin' didn't have any donuts today. Is that right? We got Krispy, Krispy Kreme? You guys can vote later on which one you like better, you know, because Babb just liked to vote. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts started by a, a man whose family was Jewish. Facebook started by Mark Zuckerberg, who, by the way, is of a Jewish family. Anybody have that little app on your phone that's tracking you right now? Okay, go ahead. Uh, and then it's kissing cousin Google, right? Uh, Larry Page, Sergey Brin, both born to Jewish parents. Anybody recognize a guy named Steven Spielberg? Jewish. Michael Dell, Dell Computers, Jewish. Starbucks, not great coffee, but Jewish uh, startup and, and wealthy. I'm just telling you, man, if you like Starbucks, I'm sorry. There's better coffee. It's right across the street on Whitesburg Drive. Anyways, okay. <laughs> That'll probably get flagged on YouTube. It's fine. Uh, Toys R Us, started by Charles Lazarus. Uh, Warner Brother Pictures, anybody heard of them? Started by Jewish brothers. Ben and Jerry's, Ben Cohen, Jerry Greenfield, and the list goes on and on. The point is, man, the, the fall of the Jew, the fall of the nation of Israel resulted in the riches in the Gentile world, man. This world is rich because of the, the fall of the nation of Israel. And listen, if the world is rich spiritually and physically because of their fall, Paul makes the point, what do you think is going to happen when their fullness comes? What do you think is going to happen when their restoration comes? I mean, listen, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, it's not on the screen, but Paul talked about that, that his ministry was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And, and, and because of their fall, man, listen, we as Gentiles get in on the goods. And this world is rich because of the fall of the nation of Israel. When they are restored, how much more so? Man, listen, hospitals, medical advances, scientific achievement, political freedoms. Do you know that right human governments in this world are based on a Judeo-Christian model? And that didn't come from us, and it didn't come from Americans just thinking this up, or Republicans. It came from a God who gave a people a book on how to live their life. That's how it came. The world is better because of Christ and because of the Word of God, and it's better in spite of a nation of Israel that rejected their Messiah. We are rich. And so Israel's fall resulted in the riches of the Gentiles. Gentiles. How much more? Will this world benefit with Israel's fullness? You see, because one, one day very soon, Israel will be fully restored. They will be the nation, and this won't be politically correct, but it is biblically accurate. They will be the nation under which all other nations will operate. They will be the nation whom God uses as a, as a, as a standard bearer for him on this planet. And we see that all the way through the Old Testament. Listen, it was typified, for instance, under the reign of David. If you study Israel's history, their, their, their nation really peaked, if you will, into a world power, number one, under David. And, and if you know anything about Israel under David, they were a military might. 
to be reckoned with. Uh, really, David's reign symbolized Israel's victory. I mean, David was a man of war. He was the anointed king that, that had to go into hiding while the false king was on the throne, Saul. But there came a time when he finally ascended to his throne after the people's choice fell, who, who by the way, Saul is a picture of the Antichrist in the Old Testament. And so David is a picture of Christ rightly ruling from the throne of David. And listen, his war and destruction and victory with that group of people is second to none. It's second to none. And so, and so in the Old Testament, man, we see the fullness of Israel's kingdom through David being a military power. And if you study history, well, they're still pretty good. Why? Because God's kind of got their back, even though they've fallen. You don't want to go pick a fight with that nation. It's typified in the Old Testament under the reign of Solomon. And of course, Solomon was the son of David. And in Solomon's reign, the entire nation of Israel had rest. And in the Old Testament, Solomon's reign is a type or a picture of the millennial reign of Christ, where David is a picture of the second coming of Christ and Christ seizing this earth for his kingdom glory. Solomon is a picture of the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign where Christ is seated on the throne in Jerusalem and the world comes to worship him. I mean, people from all over the world came to hear Solomon's wisdom. And when they showed up in Jerusalem and they saw the king of Israel on his throne and they saw the peace in the land and they saw the riches and the wealth that Israel had, all the Gentile rulers, man, the queen of Sheba shows up and is like, man, I heard some rumors, but this is legit. <laughs> the rumors didn't even spell out half of how powerful you are and how great you are and how great this nation is. It tells us in Second Chronicles that during Solomon's reign, he made silver in Jerusalem as stones. In other words, it's just good for pavement. What we would say, man, that, that's so valuable and that's so, it's worth so much money. Man, this, and, and, and in Solomon's reign, well, we decorate our rock gardens with silver. It, it pictures for us Christ and his rulership and that nation of people being blessed by God. It pictures their fullness. In Ezekiel 37, we see that their return is prophesied according to the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 8, and we could, we could read the whole passage, but you, many of you know the story. This is that valley of dry bones, right? And, and the Spirit of God was on a, Ezekiel, and he let him go out, and he see this valley full of dry bones. He says in verse 2, he caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in this open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered and said, O Lord God, thou knowest. By the way, that's a good, that's a good answer when the Lord asks you a question and you don't know the answer. Uh, Lord, Lord, you know. <laughs> can these bones live? Uh, Lord, you know. <laughs> the, the other answer is Jesus, always. Okay, so Lord, you know, or Jesus, you'll be fine. He answered and said to me, Prophesy to these bones and saying to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. 
And so I prophesied as I was, as I command, I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. And, and what you're seeing prophesied in Ezekiel 37 is that nation of people whom God says, oh, you think they're dead? <laughs> well, they're not dead. I'm going to reassemble them. I'm going to regather them as a nation. And in verses 1 to 8, you see Israel being regathered as a nation without breath. And then in verses 9 and 10, God breathes on them. And they get their, their spiritual life. He assembles their body, and then they're reborn spiritually, verses 9 and 10, which will happen in the tribulation. For reference, see Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1, and, and, and on and on. So man, their fullness is, is typified in the Old Testament, is prophesied in the Old Testament, and ultimately their fullness will be fulfilled in the reign of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, listen, as great as David was and as great as Solomon was, listen, Christ will come back to rule and reign his people. Jeremiah 3 says, At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, because the Lord will rule from a throne in Jerusalem. And all the nations shall be gathered unto it to name the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the indignation of their evil heart. And, and the point is, man, when Christ sets up his kingdom, well... Israel's got the greatest comeback story of all time. The point is, man, we're blessed because of their fall. This world will be blessed because of their fullness. God's going to restore them and, and owe so much the more. And so in verse 13, if you go back to Romans 11, Paul says this, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the, apostles of the, Gentiles, excuse me, the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. And, I, and again, I want you to understand that Paul's ministry, Paul was a Jew. Paul was part of the nation of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin, but Paul's ministry was geared to the Gentiles. And so in your notes, get this down. Here's the key. The apostle Paul is your apostle. He's your apostle. He, he's the apostle that God used to reach the Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, words matter. Gentile is not Jew or Israel, and Israel is not Gentile. They're different. And so in Acts chapter 9, when, when Paul was converted, or Saul, excuse me, was converted on the Damascus Road, right from the very beginning, God tells Saul, here's how I'm going to use you. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go thy way. He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And again, just, man, we study the Bible around here. I want you to understand that your apostle is not Peter. Your apostle is not the other 11 apostles. Your apostle is the apostle born out of due, due season, due time. And his name is Paul. Galatians 1 and verse 15, again, when he says, listen, God, God, it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among who? The heathen, uh, Gentiles, <laughs> uh, just to, if you didn't, if you thought you were something as a Gentile this morning, let me understand, help you understand, God says we're just heathen, heathen, 
And, and if you don't believe that, remember to your lost days, and, and then you'll agree with God that, yeah, you're right, Lord, I'm just a heathen. Uh, Ephesians 3, verse 8, we saw that again, that, that Paul was to preach to the Gentiles. You contrast Paul with Peter because Peter, the Bible says, his apostleship was to the circumcision, to the Jew, to the nation of Israel. And, and, and you know, we've studied the book of Acts at this church uh, for about a year, a little over a year on Wednesday nights. You look at Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 12, predominantly that's Peter's ministry. And it's focused on the Jew, the nation of Israel. After Acts chapter 12, things shift, and it, begin, it begins with Paul's main emphasis of ministry out of Antioch and continues through the rest of the book of Acts. The point is, Paul's your apostle. And you have Pauline epistles that help us stay correct in our church doctrine uh, so that we rightly divide the scriptures. Paul did win Jews to Christ. Paul had a burden for Jews, man, because he was a Jew, Man, how many, he, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, how many times did he say, I wish my brethren, according to the flesh, would get saved? But his ministry was to the Gentiles, okay? And so, and so we need to understand that. That helps us keep our Bible in order. Point number two, and this is where we really wanted to get to this morning, is Israel's fall resulted in the Gentiles' grafting. It resulted in the Gentiles' Grafting, and, and again, that's a horticultural word, <laughs> and you too could be a preacher. If you... Look at verse 15. Yeah, it's all about thesaurus.com and Google, and you got it, okay? Look at verse 15. For if the casting away of them, and let me just give you a, a hint as we read this passage in the remainder of the chapter, pay attention to the pronouns. If the casting away of them, Israel, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but, from, but life from the dead? And if the first fruits be holy, the lump also is holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness, of the olive tree. Okay, so we need to understand that as God is, is about to illustrate what he's talking about between Jew and Gentile, he's going to use an illustration. He's going to use two illustrations. We need to also understand that God is not talking to individuals. He's talking to Jews as a group. He's talking to the Gentiles as a group. Therefore, the, the pronoun thou, which is singular, because words matter. And by the way, English matters. Okay, and, and, and so what what Paul is about to do is give us two illustrations of how we are put in into this nation of Israel, spiritually speaking. Number one, he gives us the illustration of the first fruits. The illustration of the first fruits. And he says in verse 16, If the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy. And all you have to do is run that word first fruit through the Bible, and what you're going to find is that in the Old Testament... The nation of Israel were to bring the first fruits of their harvest to God. And so think wheat harvest and think sheaves of wheat, for instance. In other words, bundles of wheat. If a farmer had a field, he would take the first fruits of his field, he would bring it to the tabernacle as an offering to God because God always gets the first. And by the way, that principle hadn't changed. 
God always gets the first. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 1 to 4, it talks about bringing uh, this this offering uh, to the Lord. It's for the priest. The priest actually use it uh, because they don't have any inheritance. And so so they bring this first fruit offering of the corn and the wine and the oil and the the fleece of the sheep and whatever they have. The first always belongs to God. And so what Paul is saying is, look, what was offered was first. And, and what is first is holy. And so what's made from the first, the bread, well, the bread's holy because the offering was holy. Does that make sense? The first fruits are holy. The offering is holy. So anything that you make with the wheat, they would have made bread or show bread. Well, the lump is holy. And the point is, he's using the illustration of wheat and a lump of dough to say that Israel is first because he is God's firstborn and God always gets the first Ezekiel or excuse me Exodus 4 and verse 22 God calls Israel his firstborn the first always belongs to God and because Israel is holy listen anything connected to Israel is holy that's his point the second point is this illustration of the branches he says and if the root be holy so are the branches and so, and so again, there's this illustration that God is laying out. The root is Jesus Christ. And, and we see that in Isaiah 53, verses 1 and 2. The, the Bible says, Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He's talking about Christ. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And he's talking about Christ. And he says he's as a root out of dry ground. Revelation 5 calls Christ the root of David, capital R. Revelation 22 and verse 16, Jesus Christ himself says, I am the root and the offspring of David. And so when he uses this illustration of the branches, there is a root and that root is Christ. And the result of a root is branches. Do you know that that branches don't exist on their own, right? It comes from a root. It comes from a plant. It comes from a vine or from a tree. And so in this illustration, the root is Christ. Secondly, the branches are the nation of Israel. And again, I know this is Bible study this morning, and you didn't sign up for this, but I want you to understand that, listen, Israel in the Bible is likened to two different trees. Number one, they're likened to a fig tree. And the fig tree in the Bible represents the national life of Israel or the political Israel, the nation of Israel, politically speaking. And you've already read ahead in the the verse, we as Gentiles got grafted into which tree? The fig tree or the olive tree? It's the olive tree. Well, that's really important for you to understand because the fig tree in the Bible represents national Israel. In other words, all the promises of a land and a place on this planet and rulership over this kingdom of heaven that is promised to them, those are all literal, physical promises that will will apply to national Israel. They have promises from God. Matthew 24, verse 32 says this, Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh, or summer is near, 
So likewise ye, when ye see all these things, know that it's near, even at the door. Verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And, and listen, that fig tree, that valley of dry bones, Ezekiel 37, that for thousands of years, well, since AD 70, ceased to exist as a nation, that nation of Israel that was destroyed, well, guess what? In 1948, that fig tree began to bud again because it became a nation again. Israel became a nation again in 1948. It regained its capital, Jerusalem, in 1967. The fig tree began to put forth leaves. And God is restoring his people. Even secular historians look at what happened to the nation of Israel and say, that's impossible. That a group of people that had a nation, that had a language, that had a culture, that had all these different things, that ceased to exist corporately, are now back in existence. That is absolutely impossible. Well, not with God. Can these bones live? Lord, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they can. They can, and they are. And so God is restoring national Israel Cool story, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, do you guys remember the story of Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden against God? When they sinned in the garden and they realized that they were naked before God, the Bible says that they sewed together fig leaves. Now, I don't know how many fig leaves it takes to cover someone's nakedness. And where did they get the needle and thread? That's the other question that nobody has answered. I mean, have you, do you read the Bible and use your brain? Okay, I'm just saying. And who taught the sewing class? I mean, there's so many questions I have about that. But it is interesting that they covered themselves with fig leaves. In other words, they covered themselves with their own self-righteousness. They covered themselves with their own works. They covered themselves, if you think of the nation of Israel for a second, they covered themselves with their national identity. Without realizing We need a spiritual covering. Later in that story, the Lord had to shed innocent blood to to cover Adam and Eve with coats of skin because there had to be innocent blood shed to clear the guilty. That's what Christ did for us. That that fig leaf, that work of self-righteousness, salvation in a national identity for the Jew, it didn't work. And God said, no, the only way to cover your nakedness is through the shed blood, which I believe was a lamb. And he put the, co- the covering of skin over them through that innocent animal that was sacrificed, foreshadowing Christ. The fig tree represents national life of Israel. The olive tree represents the spiritual life of the nation of Israel. And again, you run the references there. I think they're in your notes. Psalm 52 and verse 8, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. And as you go through and study this olive tree all through the Bible, it points to spiritual life, the spiritual life of Israel. Uh, You see it in Hosea 14. You see it in Exodus uh, 27. The oil that was to burn in the house of God was pure olive oil beaten for the light to to cause the lamp of God to burn always in the house of God. And And so there's this root Jesus Christ. And there's this branch, spiritual Israel, the olive tree. And there are some natural branches that were broken off. 
And the reason that they were broken off was because of their unbelief, because of their rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were of Israel, but Israel did not all believe. You read Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 7, a lot of people from Israel got saved, but not all of Israel responded to Christ. And so God says, I'm going to break them off. I'm going to break those branches off, and I'm going to graft a wild olive tree in. And this is us. This is you. This is us corporately as Gentiles. God grafts in these wild branches, which are the Gentiles. And again, man, I'm really bad at gardening, but I've seen this done, where people take a branch and, and cut it and sliver it and take the root stock of a healthy tree and they cut a slice in it and they wedge that thing in there and they wrap it up and they put some, some, some stuff on it to help seal it and help it to grow. And that grafting process is where you take something and join it to a root and to a rootstock of another plant. This thing, this thing goes back like thousands of years. Gentiles were grafted in this olive tree into spiritual Israel. And and let me just make this point. Gentiles were grafted in among the olive tree. It did not replace the olive tree. God didn't pull up the root of the olive tree and say, well, let me plant this wild olive tree instead. That's not what God did. And every, every replacement theologian, every Calvinist, every Catholic, and every other sea religion that takes Israel out of their proper place concerning the Bible basically says that God plucked up the olive tree and planted a wild olive tree. That's not biblically accurate. The Gentiles don't replace the nation of Israel. The body of Christ does not replace the nation of Israel. You need to understand as a Gentile believer in Christ and as Gentile believers in the gospel, everything that we have comes from a Jewish root. It comes from a Jewish root. We are partakers of the root and the fatness of the good olive tree, with a root that is Christ. You see, Christ is our root. He bears us and he sustains us. Colossians 3 says that Christ is our life. Our life is hid with God in Christ. We have a Jewish king. We have a Jewish Messiah. We have a Jewish Savior. That's why we, in Galatians 6 and in Romans chapter 2, are called spiritual Jews through Abraham because we're tapped into the root of Christ and the spiritual blessing connected with the nation of Israel. That's why Gentiles must understand their position regarding Israel. God himself is the one that grafted us in because of Israel's unbelief. And when you understand this, we we mentioned it last week, it's really hard to have an anti-Semitic attitude. It's really hard... It's really hard. There are, there are quote-unquote evangelicals in our culture that are anti-Jewish and anti-Israeli. That makes no sense to me at all. The reason it makes no sense is because if they're truly saved, they're grafted into an olive tree. Makes no sense. We need to understand our position in Christ And we need to understand our position as being grafted into the olive tree that's rooted in Christ. And and this leads us to the last point. 
And I think maybe you got that, that note there, God's process is grafting. Let me go to, go to the last point. Man, when we understand all of this, and Paul is building a case for the nation of Israel in Romans 11, but he wants the Gentiles to understand, hey man, you need to, you need to know how you got here. <laughs> you need to know how you got here. And point number three is really the point. Israel's fall should keep us as Gentiles humble. It ought to keep us humble. And so go back to verse 18, and again, we'll wrap it up right here, but just check this out. Verse 18, he says this, boast not against the branches, but, and again, I want you to pay attention to the pronouns, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. In other words, the root bears you. In other words, if you are grafted in and you are a believer in Christ, and you have a jacked-up view of the nation of Israel and what God did to get you as a Gentile into Christ. Well, that, that verbiage didn't come from the root. You, you got off a little bit. You, you're a diseased branch, man. You got some bugs eating your fruit, you know? You're, you're messed up. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation, but it does mean, man... That verbiage isn't coming from the root. Christ himself is not anti-Semitic. Verse 19, thou will say then, this, this is the Gentile speaking, thou will say then that the branches that were broken off, uh, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. And then Paul says, well, and that's how you have to read that. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. In other words, hey, as Gentiles, don't think that you just somehow, some way, because of your goodness, God looked at you and said, oh, well, let me break these off and graft you in. No, God says because they didn't believe, that's why they were broken off. It's only because of their unbelief that you even had a shot. Well, it ain't really about you. It ain't about you. It's because of their unbelief that they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, and the natural branches were the nation of Israel, take heed, lest he spare not thee. Oh. Uh, what? That was, that was nice, because all y'all did that at once. It was like, oh. What does that mean? Does that mean I can lose my salvation? Is that what that means? Well, that's not what he's saying. We're not talking about individuals losing their salvation. But what he is talking about is, hey, listen, you Gentiles, we grafted, I grafted you in. I didn't spare my own people. I broke off the, the branches in unbelief. And oh, by the way, when you stop believing, well, that may happen to you too. <laughs> I may graft in the natural branches back in. That, that's what he's saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return to focus on the nation of Israel. Okay, so, so verse 22, Behold therefore the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not, excuse me, if they abide still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. The point is, as Gentiles, number one, we need to learn to boast not. It's in your notes. Uh, we need to boast not. We have nothing to boast. I said last week, as Gentiles, we are the dogs that are getting the crumbs from the table. That's all we are. We, we are 
We're not owed anything. And yet God loved us so much and God extended his grace and mercy through Israel. And then when they rejected him, God said, you know what? Even though they rejected me, I wanted to use them to reach the world with with the good message of of God's word and the gospel. But even through their rejection, I'm going to make a way for the Gentiles. God loved us. God loved us in spite of us, man. We were heathen. We were We were wild olive trees, man. That's what we were. The natural branches were broken off so that the Gentiles could get in on God's redemption. And here's what you need to know. Don't ever forget how the Gentiles obtained this privilege. We obtained it just by faith. God himself did the work. God himself did the grafting. God himself broke off the natural branches. God himself grafted in this wild olive tree. So what do we have to boast about? We have nothing to boast about. He tells us in the next part of that verse, be not high-minded, but fear. And, and if you were to cross-reference that with 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says that actually in the last days, people are going to be high-minded and not fear. <laughs> Look at 2 Timothy 3. Paul writes and he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And, and they're here, by the way. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, check, covetous, check, boasters. And there's a lot of people boasting, biblically speaking, about being someone that they're not. Boasting that they are Jews and are not. And God says in in the book of Revelation, that's blasphemous. And God hates it. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And all the parents in the room said, amen. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. These are symptoms of people in the last days. God says, don't be high-minded, don't boast. Because listen, God did it. You didn't have anything to do with it. And and in the last days, man, people are boasters. People are high-minded. They're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. What does God want us to take away from this? Well, I think God wants us to be reminded, number one, of his severity and his goodness. And it's not in your notes. And I know you're out of blanks, but just listen to me. You know, if God cut off his own people because of their unbelief and rebellion, what makes us think that as Gentiles we're any different? As a matter of fact, and I had this conversation, Cody and I were talking about this in in my office this week. What if the cutting off of the Gentiles is literally the rapture of the church? Because because the Bible says in the very next passage that we're going to study in, in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, It says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. In other words, God is preparing and reaching the world, the Gentile nations, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there's going to come a time when that stops because the church is going to be raptured out of here. And the church is predominantly a Gentile bride. I kind of wonder if it happens because of our unbelief. 
you know, on Wednesday nights, we have a, a class that meets called Ministry Tools and Training, and, and one of the things that we teach uh, in Ministry Tools and Training is, is we teach the seven dispensations classically as they're found in the scriptures, and, and this age of, of grace which we live in right now, this church age, uh, is the dispensation of grace, the time of grace, or the church age, however you want to call it. Every dispensation, when you read about it in the Bible and study it, every stewardship of God's grace during a period of time, man always messes it up. It always ends in failure. And I think the rapture of the church is just God's stamp on the Gentile church saying, you didn't get the job done. You see, a lot of us, man, we pray for the rapture. We ought to want to see Jesus Christ. Don't, don't get me wrong, man. I, I don't want to be an idiot. But I don't think we understand that, that after the rapture is the judgment seat of Christ, where we stand and give an account for our stewardship of the gospel during this time period. That ought to put the fear of God in us. We had better learn not to boast and not to be high-minded, but to fear. Because we're going to see the Lord really soon. Today be a good day. I'm really sad. But I know when I see him, I'm going to give an account. I'm going to give an account. And you will too. Man, are you ready for that day? You ready for that day? Are your, are your accounts settled with the Lord? Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, Mark Trotter had a couple months to kind of sort that out. If he wasn't sure, he had, he had a little bit of time to get sure. You know what I'm saying? Now listen, if you knew that brother, he was sure. There wasn't no way he wasn't sure. But you're not afforded a couple of weeks or a couple of months all the time. In other words, life is, is pretty, it's pretty fast. It happens pretty fast and then an eternity. And listen, if you're in this room today and you don't know for sure that you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, can I encourage you, today's a good day to get saved. Today's a good day to get saved. You don't have a clue what's going to happen in your life in the next 15 minutes. Only God knows that. And you're not God. Are you saved? Do you know for sure you've been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ? Secondly, if you are saved, do you understand that, that this life really matters? It really matters. You know, again, Luke tells us where much has been given, much is required. And for some of us, we need to wake up, spiritually speaking. We need to wake up and get about the business that God has left us to do. And the business is making disciples of all nations. And I dare say if some of us would say that today I'm not ready to meet the Lord face to face, I dare say for some of us it may be because we're living in sin away from God. We're rebelling against God. We're living in unbelief. We're rebelling against his authority in our life. If today it would concern you to see Christ face to face, could I ask the question, why? Why would you not want to see your Lord and Savior today? Why? Why would you not want to see him? Well, I got a, I got a career I need to focus on. Do you think your career is going to matter in eternity? It ain't going to matter. I got more money to make. Your, ma your money's not going to matter in eternity. Well, I, I want to raise my children. Listen, there's nothing that seeing Christ face-to-face -face won't fix in our life. There's nothing that the rapture of the church won't fix for the Christian's life. And if that, if that thought gives us uneasiness of seeing Christ today, then the truth is we need to do business with God. 
Some of us need to repent of our sin and start following Christ again. Some of us need to get serious about his word and be involved in the ministry that God's called us to be. Amen? I'm telling you, church, listen. You say, man, you're preaching really hard right now. Because it's real. Because it's true. And we can turn our ears down and we can turn our eyes off to the things of God and we can try to mosey on through the week and just have business as normal. But we're going to be in eternity very soon. And we had better be ready. We'd better be ready. Let's pray.